This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello and welcome to E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast from Opportune. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me. Today on the podcast, we welcome James Hansen, Managing Director at Opportune Partners, an investment banking and financial advisory affiliate of Opportune. And he's going to be discussing fairness and solvency opinion topics within the restructuring wave context. James, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, James, uh, people might not necessarily be familiar with all the terms that we're going to be discussing on the podcast. So let's start off just by defining some of those terms and giving people an idea of, of the topic today. So we're talking fairness opinions and solvency opinions. So let's start off with fairness. What are fairness opinions? That's a, that's a great point. It is, it is funny. Even practitioners in the industry don't always, uh, you know, run across these often in their career, CFOs and bankers and, and the like, I mean, may run across, you know, one solvency or fairness opinion in their career. So that is a useful, <laughs> uh, useful, uh, useful place to start. I mean, I guess in terms of fairness opinions, in the most simple terms, uh, a fairness opinion is a, a, an opinion, a legal document that's provided usually to a board or a special committee of a company by an independent third party advisor, you know, usually a financial advisor valuation firm, um, that the valuation of a transaction is fair from a financial point of view. So it's just simply, a, you know, is the valuation of that transaction fair? So how did these first come about? When did they first kind of start to uh, become a thing that 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 was utilized? And, and give me the origin story of fairness opinions. Right, right. So uh, these, I mean, it's, it's, in order to answer that question, maybe it makes sense to just take one minute and step back to some <laughs> of the history of fiduciary duty and, mm-hmm. and, and the like. Uh, you know, obviously, people throw that term around a lot, especially as it relates to board of directors and managers of companies. But it really uh, kind of harkens back to the old English common law uh, concept of the business judgment rule, which is basically, uh, you know, a, a kind of a conglomeration of things from, you know, old English law and, and U.S. Uh, court cases that basically say that if a manager or board of director member uh, is making a decision with regard to a company, that they're not liable for that decision as long as they're operating in the best interest of the company, that they're looking at the transaction from an independent point of view without conflict, that they're operating in good faith, and that they're operating with due care. And that's an important piece of it. The, you know, that's kind of the informed basis that they're operating. And so fairness opinions have been around for a long time to potentially support the boards of directors and managers as they look at transactions and fulfill their fiduciary duties. But it really was in 1985 that there was a Delaware Supreme Court case, Smith versus Von Gorkum, where the court found that the board of directors of TransUnion was actually negligent because they had based their decision uh, on an LBO based on the chairman's valuation analysis that he had provided them. And then the court specifically said, if the board of directors had gotten a fairness opinion in that case, then they would have evidenced their ability to, you know, their 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 uh, intention to look at this more uh, independently and with due care and on an informed basis. 
And so pretty much since that time, since 1985, every big transaction, every marquee transaction uh, has gotten a fairness opinion so that, that boards of directors can uh, satisfy that, that fiduciary duty. So that goes a long way in answering uh, the next question that I had. And, and that was, you know, what's the context in which uh, a company would get a fairness opinion? You kind of touched on it there, but kind of explain the broader context of, of when companies get these types of opinions. Yeah, that's that's a good question. In fact, it's it's interesting. You know, most people when they hear about fairness opinions, they do think about them in the context uh, that they originated in the you know really big marquee public companies, uh, you know, merger transactions, things like that. But there's also a, a large number. In fact, by by number, you know, the vast majority, you know, uh, of fairness opinions are actually for transactions that you know ne- aren't necessarily the marquee transactions. They're more Think of it kind of any time there's a transaction where you're worried that someone could challenge it, uh, that you want to get a fairness opinion to protect the judgment that you made in making that decision, especially around valuation. So things like, um, you know, obviously big public companies, but also potentially conflict transactions. So uh, like where there's a related party selling assets or maybe a board member is the CEO of another company that's selling assets to your company. Um, Maybe it's a take private transaction. Um, Another common example is uh, in the private equity world. if If a fund has say, you know, fund one owns a company and uh, you know, it maybe needs a little more capital or it's just kind of that fund is reaching the end of its life. A lot of times PE funds will uh, either sell a company from, say, fund one into fund two or maybe even invest in a fund one company with fund two capital. So those anytime there's a potential chance that an investor in a company or either existing or a new investor in a company could say, hey, wait a minute, that, you know, the, the price you pick there is advantageous to the other party at the expense of, of me. Um, those are situations where you may want to think about getting a fairness opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So that, that kind of gives us a, a context in which we understand fairness opinions, but we're also talking solvency opinions today. So most people um, have never heard of these. So tell us a little bit more about solvency opinions and what they are. Yeah. So, so uh, unfortunately for the oil and gas industry, solvency opinions are really coming um, uh, to, to, to light, or at least the, you know, prior solvency opinions and the, you know, kind of current wave of, of bankruptcies that we're seeing. But solvencies are really a unique animal. They're a very specific opinion that is, uh, you know, designed from a legal point of view to protect a company against potential claims of fraudulent transfer. And what, what fraudulent transfer is for, for people that, that don't know, but basically, uh, anytime a company is transferring assets out, if they're not receiving reasonably equivalent value for those assets and the company is left insolvent, then there could be a claim of fraudulent transfer. And so what, what a, a solvency opinion does is it's an opinion, again, by a third party, usually presented to a board of directors that uses uh, language that's consistent with U.S. and state uh, bankruptcy uh, statutes that, that basically show that giving effect to the transaction, the company is not insolvent. 
So why is it important that these uh, that, that solvency opinions protect against fraudulent transfer, uh, specifically in the context of, of the oil and gas industry? Kind of talk me through that. Yeah. So it, so so the, the two main reasons that, that companies are so afraid of fraudulent transfer, uh, and, and one is, is, is a pretty obvious one, you know, that, that, and that is that directors and managers, if they're found that if, if they perpetrated fraudulent transfer by affecting a transaction, uh, that left the company insolvent, they can be held personally liable. Uh, the other piece of it, and this is, is a really important piece for buyers of assets. And that is if a, if, if a company sells assets in the context of a, of a, just sells assets and following that sale, the company, uh, goes bankrupt. The very first thing that the bankruptcy advisors will do is look at any past transactions uh, that a company has uh, entered into. And if a case can be made that that transaction left the company insolvent and that that company didn't get reasonably equivalent value for the assets, the courts could require that that transaction be unwound. So imagine if you're uh, a private equity firm and you, you see, wow, this is a great deal on these assets from this distressed company. I'm going to buy them. You integrate them into one of your other portfolio companies. Three years down the road, the court says, Oh, no, that transaction was fraudulent transfer. You have to unwind the transaction. Imagine the, the logistical nightmare of trying to do that. So that for those two reasons, people take solvency opinions really seriously. So James, from, from your perspective, what makes this uh, such a big and important topic to be discussing right now? Are there current events or current situations that make, um, you know, discussing fairness opinions and solvency opinions more important right now? Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a few, um, but the, the biggest one, and it's unfortunately for the oil and gas sector where I've spent the last 30 years is, you know, we're seeing kind of an unprecedented wave of uh, bankruptcies and restructuring. Um, and, you know, opportune as a firm, one of, one of our, you know, marquee businesses is, uh, our restructuring practice. We have a very strong restructuring practice. And, uh, as, as part of that, you know, as, as a, as a, uh, solvency opinion expert, I've been getting involved with a lot of the cases that our restructuring colleagues have been involved with helping their clients, both on the debtor and creditor side try to negotiate some of the you know potential pitfalls or you know looking at, at transactions to to evaluate whether potentially fraudulent transfer occurred it's it's been very interesting to me as a practitioner who's you know mostly on the you know the front end of a transaction where nobody does think that a transaction is you know things are going to go bad but you know in in the real world when commodity prices uh, you know fall the way they have in the oil and gas sector you know, sometimes things happen that were unanticipated or outside of your control. So for, for me, it's very interesting to look at, at some of the lessons learned from the, you know, from the restructurings that we're, we're working on where things, you know, have, have gone a way that people hadn't hoped and, you know, see if there are things, you know, A, if a company did get a solvency opinion, you know, what, what are some of the potential pitfalls there? But B, one of the biggest surprises to me is just how often people don't get solvency opinions and mm -hmm. their, you know, their transactions potentially open themselves up to the challenge. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk to, you know, both people on the company side, you know, as a debtor advisor or a creditor advisor, they'll say, well, we didn't really even know there was such a thing as solvency opinions. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, it's, it's very interesting in this environment. 
Well, now if people say that they weren't aware of solvency opinions, we'll know that they did not listen to this podcast and were not adequately <laughs> adequately informed on the topic. Uh, so one of the other things uh, to discuss as far as fairness opinions and solvency opinions is sensitivity analysis. So what is sensitivity analysis? And one of the things that, that you had written in a previous piece was that it often looks light-handed in hindsight. So um, tell me a little bit about sensitivity analysis and, and why you would say that, that it often looks light-handed in hindsight when, when things have gone wrong yeah well i mean you can kind of look at it in, in two different um contexts you know one, one is fairness and one is solvency and in, in a fairness opinion it's it's often useful for a board in their attempt to be you know fully informed that they'll want to see some some sensitivity analysis what you know what does value look like if you make these assumptions so you look at you know what we would usually call kind of a reasonable worst case scenario and say, you know, if, if, if something bad happens, is the company still able to pay the debts as they come to? Are the, you know, are the, the, are the credit metrics improving or are they, you know, on a decline? You know, at, at, when you're doing this, you don't, you, nobody can predict the future. So you, you know, you kind of look at uh, other uh, historical downturns, um, try to look at duration, size, things like that. But oftentimes, when you get, you know, into a bankruptcy situation, commodity prices have declined, say, 30%. <laughs> and, and in that case, or, or you know, 50% or whatever, or, or is the case that they did a few months ago, over 100% down to, to negative numbers. And it's easy for somebody to come in and say to a board, well, you guys assumed that commodity prices would decline by 20%. Why didn't you use 30%? Why didn't you look at that? How did, how come you thought 30% or 20% was enough when in reality it dropped 30%? And it's easy for someone to have that kind of hindsight bias to make the, the make the decision making process look flawed. And the way to get around that and the, what we do in, in solvency opinions, and, and, and it's interesting to see this from the other side of the equation, because not everybody does this, or if, if a fairness opinion hadn't been gotten at the original transaction, you know, people don't necessarily document why they did the sensitivity cases that they did. And what the courts really hate is when, uh, especially a advisor comes in and says, well, we used our business judgment. And they say, well, why was why was 20% your business judgment? Well, that's just what we always use. Well, that's our business judgment, you know? And so the courts have been really critical of that. So as long as a board looks at it and says, okay, well, you know, we knew we weren't going to be right. We knew that the future is never what you think it's going to be, but we looked at historical downturns. We looked at duration. We looked at size. We looked at where the strip pricing was. We looked at different analyst prices and you can tick off here are all the different things we looked at, and this is why we chose that. You may be wrong, but if the court feels that you, you know, did it with an, you know, based on informed data, the best that you had available to you, then you know they can support that decision, even if you ended up being wrong. Mm. Well, James, uh, we've come to the end of our our conversation around fairness and solvency opinion topics. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't covered yet on fairness or solvency that you want to discuss before we wrap up today? Yeah, no, I, th I think that was a, a great overview. It's it's just it's really like I said before, it's really interesting in the context of, you know, seeing, you know, when things do go wrong, you know, what are the mistakes that a, either a solvency opinion provider has made or, or could have made or, you know, or in, in even more commonly the case, you know, what are what are the, the pitfalls of not getting the solvency or fairness opinion <laughs> and, and, and how does that play out? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, James Hansen, Managing Director at Opportune, thank you so much for joining us here on E2B Energy to Business and uh, breaking down these topics for us, especially um, during these times when they're especially uh, topical and important. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of E2B Energy to Business, a podcast from Opportune. Of course, we have plenty of podcasts that uh, that are in the podcast channel already. So if you haven't already subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you go check that podcast out and hit subscribe there to stay up to date with the latest from the oil and gas industry from Opportune. And of course, we're constantly doing new episodes. So uh, stay tuned for those. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for listening.